I don't know if I told you. My name is Michael Rosso. I did. Leslie Lazenby. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and friends beyond the binary. Matt Mirage. Oh, no. Hey, how's it going, guys? (laughs) That's a banaka blast. You got to do it in the eyes like Elaine Bennis does. Owen McCafferty. Hey, what's going on? Uh, We're here to talk about film, film, and film. This is old news by now. But nevertheless, a hot topic, and it's going to remain being hot. And that is Cinestill 400D. It's a 400 ISO color film. It is unique. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else like it on the planet. Bravo. <laughs> a new color film that's a recreation. It's new. It's exciting. <laughs> People are going nuts for it. One, two, three, forget about Super it. Super amazing. It's going to be available at the FPP online store. <laughs> Take it away, Matt. Uh... Just a great campaign from Cinestill. <laughs> then that's it. Over back to you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> What's there to talk about? No, uh, by the time uh, by the time you folks are hearing this, Cinestill 400D is going to be shipping out to the early bird backers. But the most exciting part, the reason it's one of my topics, four by five. <laughs> Cinestill 400D, and that is that's locked. Locked. It's happening. It's happening. Yes. They Did had, you go buy some? I got 100 sheets. 100 sheets? How many how per box? Uh, how much per box and how much does it cost you? So. What are you, John Fideli? What's it cost? Hey, hey, what's this? Yeah. 25 sheets is 125. 100 sheets, 400. So four bucks a sheet. That's actually the cheapest 4x5 film there is for color. Is that right? Mm-hmm. No other color 4x5. That's even close to that. If you do the same thing in portrait, you're paying, what's that, 1.7 times as much? It's a really, really, really sweet option. And... Them getting this going is proof that people want this in a multitude of sizes, not just 35, not just 120, 4x5. And we may be seeing, there's no confirmation yet, but we may be seeing 800T and 50D as alternative options for large format, which so, so exciting because we just need, we need SKUs in, in the larger stuff. Wasn't there a brief slice in time when the... Uh 800T was available in 4x5? Yeah, we remember at the at the Pidea, we actually had the opportunity to shoot a few okay. sheets of that stuff. Uh, the brothers handed us a, you know, like a little unmarked pack of the uh, of that 800T. And it was, you know, it was do you, you remember loading some of that stuff, Mike? It was it was like thin. It was, yes, it was very thin. Yes, we loaded it in the room. Yeah, it was like it, we were fighting it and because of the humidity and stuff, the reasoning for that is that was on the base that they use for 35 and 120, which is different from what you need for large format. Large format needs to be on that thicker base. They are going to be putting this on the thicker base, meaning it's going to be a more accessible film. And knowing who makes Vision 50D, we can have really good confidence that this is going to be an awesome addition to to the large format and uh, and other formats lineup. But of course, I'm talking about it because I'm hyped about a new 4x5. Like, Everything in the world of large format is this got discontinued. This is gone. This is gone. So seeing fresh stuff is right. is so great. And that, like 800T, come on. Everybody wants to be a speed demon. Of course, the large format folks want to be too. So it's cool. Okay. I like it. Short and sweet. We'll be right back. Now the easiest way you've ever seen to put good times in movies can be yours at the lowest cost in Kodak history. Just watch this. 
Here is a remarkable new electric eye movie camera from Kodak. It's the new Kodak Automatic 8, the lowest priced electric eye movie camera that Kodak has ever made. Less than $50. It has a built-in electric eye that sets the lens automatically for correct exposure. It even warns you when there isn't enough light. All you do is aim and press the button. And whether your subject is in sunlight, like this, or in shade, like this, you get clear, bright movies of all your good times automatically to share for years to come. You'll find the Kodak Automatic 8 movie camera now at your Kodak dealers, where you see this Cameraland display. Why not visit him this week and see everything that's new for picture taking? Hey, we're back. Okay, next topic is uh, deckled edges for you. Of those of you who don't know what it is, well, we're going to find out from Mr. Owen McCafferty. So uh, I, I'm one of those freaks that has to know why. Like, why? Why is anything? Yeah. Why? You know? Why? 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 I have to know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the same with with these these photos. And I've got our listeners can't see, but these are two family photos I have um, from uh, probably one's from the nineteen late nineteen forties, the other is probably from the mid fifties. One's square, one's rectangular. I think this is what three and a half by three and a half, right? And then I don't know what this is. Three by f- oh, that's postcard. Three and a half by five and yeah, a half. Be, yeah, that's yeah, postcard. Yeah, yeah, postcard. And they have, as if you've ever seen, you know, as most people do have family photos from this era, it's got this like jagged edge around the pictures and and photos from this era, nineteen late nineteen forties into the nineteen fifties, early nineteen sixties, have this jagged edge. And I've always wanted to know why, why, why is there a jagged edge? Was it like was this all that was available? Was there a purpose for it? I, I started doing some Googling, as one does, and I came across this, this woman, this person named Anna Krentz, who wrote in 2009 a thesis. Oh, that's, that is why you have a book report in front of you. Okay, yeah. cool. I see it in the binders that I used to turn reports <laughs> right, in on. Okay. exactly. Um, and it's, it's a thesis for um, her Bachelor of Arts at uh, St. Francis Xavier University in Canada, and it's titled Snapshots with an Edge, a Study of the Deckle Edge in North Americans, uh, in the Whoa. North American Snapshot. Where'd you get that? This, so it's important, everybody should know this, if you Google Snapshots with an Edge by Anna Krantz, it's online, PDF, you can download it for free. Oh, you mount it like a school report. Yeah. What's really interesting about the Deckle Edge, and that's what this is called, this edge around photos, is... That in all the studies that people have done of snapshots, you know, academically, they always talk about how sh- snapshots have been, you know, sort of influenced by American culture or how the snapshot has influenced American culture. And they talk about kind of snapshots as a subject matter, but never as a physical object. And so Krantz, uh, Krantz I should say, actually does explore snapshots as a as an object themselves and particularly the, the deckle edge and why it exists. So this is like one of the only I've, I've seen you know uh, academic studies of of uh, you know snapshots as an object and, and a very particular aspect of them so she she goes through and talks about um, sort of how she did the study she talks about how the fact that all a lot of the the different um, publications that have been made about uh, American snapshots don't talk about the deckled edge and then she really just goes into what you know what the deckled edge edge is now a deckled edge traditionally in paper making just means a rough edge it's a it's a byproduct of making handmade the, the mold process yeah, yeah. handmade paper when paper started being made in a factory 
um, you lost that deckled edge. You, you got a more, um, you know, from a machine, you got a straight, nice, clean cut. And so deckle edge paper um, started to become something that was synonymous with high-end, custom-made, fancy paper. The deckle edge, the first patent for the deckle edge machine, it was like a, a cutter, you know, like a paper cutter, was in the 1930s. And, and it was really for that purpose. It was to make snapshots a, a, appear to be more high-end. Is that um, right? At least, at least according to, to her research. Yeah. That's, that's my Aunt Kathleen, actually, Ab- as a little girl. Absolutely. It was a change. gave a more modern look. Right. So they started as mostly um, you know, paper cutter style. And she goes through in her thesis, she talks about the different eras of the deck ledge and how they've changed. She, her primary, primary source was Kodak dealer literature from the 1940s mm-hmm. and 1950s. And what I found most interesting, not just to like actually learn about the deckle edge and why it existed, but to understand the methods by which Kodak did this. Um, Independent dealers did them too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Kodak w- eventually came out with these automatic cutters. So, mm-hmm. well, I should take a step back. When you would go to your local photo dealer in the 1950s and you dropped off your film, and there would be a, it would get processed, and there would be a machine that an operator would sit at to print your film, and there'd be a roll of paper. It would go through this process where the paper went in, they printed it, printed the image, it got processed, and then it came out. And then you could, as a dealer, you could buy different cutting attachments for your machine that would cut that those prints, and one of the blades that you could get was the, the deckled edge. The other type that you could get is the square format. You see those have like holes at the top, and that would get bound into booklets. Print album. Picture packs. Picture packs, yeah. Mm-hmm. And here you can see, like, on page 29 of her report, you can actually see what one of the machines looked like. Um, so it's a really interesting look in, into a subject that most people, nobody really has written about, at least in, in, uh, in academically speaking. And she has great images of advertisements and the different dealer machines that were out there. So if, if you're a geek like me and, you, you know, you just have to know why and how, um, you know, definitely go, Google her her paper "Snapshots with an Edge" by Anna Krentz, K R E N T Z. You can download the PDF for free and and learn all about the deckled edge. When I started working in a commercial lab in Findlay, lovely downtown Findlay, Ohio, they still had boxes of those outside covers. <gasps> And because uh, we were using Peco machines, they were called Peco packs. Oh, okay. And my parents still have some of those in that pack form, yeah. all bound together. Yeah, I just did a scan yeah. job for uh, for somebody, and I and I struggled to scan, you know, because they didn't want to lay flat. And I asked oh. him if I could rip them out, uh, and and you he, could actually just take the metal. Well, that's what I took yeah, the I took them off, off and, and he was okay that, with that. But, but yeah. Uh huh. So as someone that does a lot of kooky, old, like alternative process and hand coating of papers, I've done a couple videos like showing folks how to like build the light, do platinum, all the different, you know, hand coated stuff. One of the episodes, I don't even remember which it is, but I showed this, uh, this thing. It came in uh, to Midwest photo. It looks just like a giant clear ruler, but on the edge of it, it's just this thick acrylic ruler. It has deckled edges that you can use for ripping fine art paper yep. or watercolor oh, paper. Oh, like as an edge you just rip. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. called the, uh, I, I learned all about it because the number one question I get asked isn't anything about the process. Where'd you get that ruler? I want deckled edges. How do you get deckled edges? So people are still genuinely interested it, oh, really? in something that oh, looks yeah. 
unique oh. on there. Uh, Hanamula, who is one of the oldest, you know, running paper mills that mm-hmm. still makes inkjet stuff. They now have inkjet material that goes uh, goes through an inkjet printer with a backer sheet, but it has a deckled edge to it. So you can get deckled edge inkjet. They still sell uh, uncoated papers for hand coating. But I ended up uh, with because of Midwest Photo. It's called the Dual Edge Ripper. So you can go to dualedgeripper.com. And Get it's out a, of here. Yeah, and they still sell it. It's like this 30-inch ruler, and it has it has the soft decals. You right. know, yeah. yeah and, and it's got the hardcore one, yeah, the really she jagged talks one. Through, like, so she goes and gives you the example of a different deckle edge. You can get like scalloped and album and chunky. The only, and that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because like, the only, the only um, thing I could find is like the, the original kind that looks like a paper, you know, an old-fashioned tabletop paper cutter yeah, I'll, I'll that's, got the, that's got the you know, special deckled uh, edge. I don't know if this qualifies as deckled edge, but it actually might. When I was a preteen in 1980. Wow, that long ago. No, maybe it was 79. I found my dad's Polaroid camera in the closet. Maybe Leslie Lazenby or someone could tell me what model it was. And I walked down to the camera shop, and I bought a roll of black and white roll film, the kind that you have to coat Mm -hmm. the... So I I loaded the roll film. I took some shots of my family. Mm -hmm. And then to get the film out, you Mm -hmm. open the back, Mm -hmm. and then you peel peel out. It had deckled edges. Deckled edge, yes. but only on the, the sides. Part. Yeah. Only on the sides. But that was, they did but that on could, purpose, right? Yes. But you could then take that pointy part mm-hmm. that you gripped with, and you could actually take that off to make a full, clean, rectangular yeah. image. Yep. A lot of people didn't, but you could. So I guess the big question is, you know, since de- deckled edge was a thing, it was a style, it was like fancy, it's nice. Will it ever come back? Yeah. Why hasn't it? It, it has. has. It's, it's the aspect of having something that looks and feels handmade, like mm-hmm. someone has put the attention forth toward it. I think that is always going to be valued, but not to the sense that Fujifilm Instax is not going to have a deckled edge, right. you know? But I, oh, go ahead, oh, please. But there's a way around that. One of the last times I went to. It's not called PMA anymore, is it? Photo Marketing Association? No, that's uh, Photo Plus Expo. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the last times I actually went to the PMA show, there was a company that introduced scissors. Yep. That made oh. all these lovely different decals. Fiskers makes them. The they do now, Cricket yes. Has a thing but they too. also had the one with the lines and the little the little uh, ball pointed pen essentially that you could put an embossed edge around like mm-hmm. they did in right. the eighteen hundreds. And of course it exploded then into the uh, scrapbooking industry, yeah, cricket and, and all those and guys. You can yep. you can buy those custom cut deckle edge scissors today and mm-hmm. deckle to your heart's I content. I have a question, the, unrelated, but as I was looking at this, where can you? So, Velox paper, yes, you can't buy it anymore. No. Obviously, no. What is a modern substitute for Velox paper with a that's with a, a, called with a, a rough paper back, single weighted um, glossy paper, but yep. not, obviously not RC. It's a fiber base, right? Yeah, yeah, this would this would be like you could get uh, Hanamula makes a super gloss. I'm I'm not a Hanamula shill. I just really 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 like their stuff. Okay. Um, they do have a lightweight super, not lightweight, but like a medium weight super gloss that would be comparable with a fiber back. Yeah, they make fiber paper. They're they're still a paper mill. So oh, okay. Yeah, they they've got really really good. Ones. I'll have to try that. Uh, yeah, well, here we go. Their their stuff's not cheap though. What an excellent topic. Yes. Uh, thank you. That was the deckled edges was an excellent topic. Deckly, deckly. Oh, we have to do less. We'll be right back with the Leslie Lazenby segment. Well, he caught me doing a not so great job wrapping a great Christmas gift. 
A Kodak Tele Instamatic 608 camera. It's almost like giving two cameras, because it has two lenses. Okay, Star, do your stuff. Look how the telephoto lens can make the best part of your picture bigger. A Kodak Tele 608 camera doesn't cost a great deal of money. But it gives a great deal of pleasure. And like all Kodak gifts, the Tele 608 camera says, open me first to save Christmas in pictures. Okay. We're, hey, we're back. C41 issues. Yes. I guess, please, Leslie, tell us, first of all, what is C41? C41 is our standard chemical kit that develops color negative film. Previously, it was C22. We all use C41 now. So commercially, C41. Home processing kits, C41. Home processing kits. We get letters. So I titled this, I'm not feeling very stable. I have the blues. (laughs) (laughs) And this is about four different um, listener questions. Some of them kind of flow together. The other two do not. So the first snippet is, stabilizer is not included in your C41 kits. Do I need to buy it separately? Can I use PhotoFlow? So this is for folks who are developing... <clears throat> their color film at home. Yes. And they bought the new FPP kit, which does not have stabilizer. Well, in some cases, this oh, the old kit will go to, uh, to go back further. But in this particular case, it's the new kit without the C, without the stabilizer in it. Okay. Still pertains to this, but a different person. Sorry if this question is obvious, but <laughs> with the new kits that omit the antifungal stabilizer, can I finish with PhotoFlow to help eliminate spots? Okay. Answer. Photoflow and stabilizer were used for primarily diff were notice that were used for primarily different reasons. It is no stabilizer is no longer needed on modern emulsions. Modern stabilizer is just a final rinse. Antifungal properties are now built into the film via harder emulsions. Those little bugs break their teeth when they try to chew on <laughs> Kodak Plus. <laughs> It will not harm your negatives today. If I still have stabilizer, um, I use it. It's not doing anything except for a final rinse. I do it because I've always done it. When I don't have it, it's going to be fine. C41 films made before the year 2000 needed formalin, a colorless solution of formaldehyde in water. Leave it out and your negatives will turn green or red or streaks and have brown stains. If you process these films that contain formulin and you don't use the formulin, problems can arise in maybe a day, maybe months, or years. It's just not predictable. But let's face it, 20-year-old plus film, color film, is not predictable. So formaldehyde requires special handling and disposal for labs. It's a hazmat issue. So not needing this benefits everybody. It really was a boost to many labs not to have to use this formaldehyde-based product. Now, PhotoFlow, you can use PhotoFlow as your final step if you don't use your stabilizer. If you use one or the other, they really kind of cancel each other out. As a, as a sidebar, now that you're thinking about this PhotoFlow, that's my a black and white chemistry. We are used to using an archival wash for our black and white negatives. Can it be used for color? Can it? Can it? Can it, Mike? It can't. 
<laughs> simple, <laughs> simple answer is no. Hypoclear archival wash perma wash products are not to be used with color film. They are a black and white chemistry only. Well, since we know people are, what happens if they do? It doesn't. It's it's wasting money for okay, one thing because okay. it really works more with converting fixers and silvers into making them water soluble and getting them out of the film. And we're really dealing more with dyes. With the color films. With the color film, what you're do all the hypoclear is with a lot of stuff, it's just sodium sulfite and then a few other agents to help it help it get in there. It's not going to harm the film unless something else is already going on funky, like if it's really old, but you're just gonna need to wash it longer, like Leslie was mm-hmm. saying. That's, and and technically you wouldn't know that because you, you think to, permawash yeah. speeds things up. Yep. It does not. Okay, so that answer's answered. That question's answered. Next uh, little comment we got was streaky C41 negatives. A few C41 kit users have contacted us about streaky negatives that result in uneven, off-colored areas viewable not only on the negatives, but obviously then on the prints or the scans. There are three possible problems for this with number one handling about 95% of the issue. Most likely, the answer is the wash steps. Any step requiring a water rinse before the next step is important. Change the water often. Agitate with gusto. (laughs) (laughs) Don't rush or shorten this time. Don't just put water in the tank once and do it. Change it out. Change it out. Overwashing is okay. Next Eh, maybe. Mix all components of your kit with distilled water. Make sure you pre-wet with water, preferably distilled. Number three, this one's very logical too. Use the recommended agitation method for your tank, such as a Patterson tank has a swizzle stick Mm -hmm. or a cap that fits on for inversion. But a Stearman tank typically likes a side-by-side agitation. And the problem with all this is, is I, I had a tendency at first before really digging into this, there's a problem with the bleach step. It's a problem with the bleach step. The problem technically is with the bleach step. But you have to make sure you are not contaminating your bleach from the developing step so you've got to wash it yep use plenty of water between these steps now on larger format films four by five eight by ten whatever it is okay to use a weak stop bath in there too just to make sure that you kill that developer that's on that film done streaking is almost always caused by insufficient washing and contamination weakening your bleach it's not weakening naturally it's your fault you killed it now can you I have a question yeah can you re-bleach color film like if, if you haven't bleached enough can you go back and bleach it I don't think so after the fixer okay. oh if you're doing the, the two step where it's a bleach bleach fix type it's a two step where you're looks... doing the bleach and the fix um, I don't think the bleach is going to do much once it hits okay. that but you, yeah you can hit it for as long as you need to the problem is you know your, your image can go if you, it's, right if it's you, too long you want to yeah. time it for the most part gotcha. before we get into the mm-hmm. next one the mm-hmm. when I did Mike when you sent me the first few kits of the FPP C41 which is yes. the, one of the shots I had is you know strudel Lauren's holding strudel I did have a little streak in there. It is exactly because of what what Leslie said. I did not do my um, my in between step 
with a distilled water. I use the tap water. And this actually turned into a giant problem all last spring at my darkroom at 400 West Rich. They, they've been doing construction in that area. The tap water, I didn't know this until a couple weeks oh, no. later. The, the tap water there was awful. It was killing everything. It was a little too acidic. Save it for the show, Matt. Mm, that's right, yeah. What's We're going to cover that again. What's that topic called? Right here. Oh, shoot. Oh. Right? It's okay. Because right now we're going into... We've gotten emails uh, where people are like, oh. oh, my stuff is streaked. Yeah, and they would send, and it's like... My stuff is streaked. Oh, my gosh. It, it, took, it took a little while to figure it out, but it's 100% the answer. My stuff is streaked. Next question. Bubbles in the pre-wet and the developer. It's bubbly. Is this going to hurt anything? Bubbles probably come from photo flow or a wetting agent mm-hmm. left on your tank or reel. Now, personally, I do use the same tanks for black and white as co- and color. And uh, I don't use photo flow from the color, but I do for black and white. And I need to make sure that my tanks and my reels are clean. So, as I say, when in doubt, wash it out. <laughs> <laughs> Another little bit of photo flow buildup on those plastic reels. Start cussing and blaming Patterson for these crappy reels because your film won't load on. It's just getting a little bit of a resistance from that. And all you have to do is get yourself some 91% alcohol from your local Giant Eagle, Walmart. I'm even old. I I don't know where. I soak soak them in lye. No, seriously. Yep. You can just take 91% and a little bit of old toothbrush or something, give them a scrub, and that'll clean it all off, too. The old too. photo finish? The old, oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The good stuff. Potassium yeah. dichromate bleach yeah. will also clean your reels. Uh, dichromate will clean a lot of stuff, including <laughs> your cell wall. <laughs> That's true. Oh, and last but not least, and this this is kind of a fun one, actually, but I have an issue. This is this guy's this is part of the title. I have got the blues. I'm having issues with developing Kodak Gold Film and Kodak Plus, Color Plus. The final product seems to lack the yellow, which I can add back into Photoshop. I've got a temperature control device. I started making sure my final rinse is also around 102 degrees, which helped but still it's losing its yellow other films and even other kodak films don't have this issue any ideas and this is kind of what we go through when something like this comes in i ask you a million questions i said let me know how you mix and store your chemistry what water type are you using using glass or plastic to store in what size of chemistry kit are you using and how many rolls are you running through the kit And briefly, they said, I started using clear. I've switched to brown glass. I store, I used to store my developer and my Blix in the fridge, but now I store them at room temperature. Flat enough. I wrote all good. A liter kit. I normally dump at the 20th roll, but the problem is persistent from the 1st to the 20th. I recently started keeping a log. I wrote back, 20 rolls sounds like... It's a little bit too, too many for a liter kit. For consistency, you should stay within the chemistry's recommendations. Those kits usually recommend... Like 12? 13 to okay, 15. Yeah. Yep. So, but if that, if that technically really was the case, 
it probably would have been good at the beginning. Right, that's what he said. And it gradually was, go down. Sh- he said this was consistent. Yeah. My pre-rents, developer, and Blix are all at 102 degrees exactly, while my final rinse is around 102, and the stabilizer is at room temperature. It's mixed at 110 degree tap water. However, my most recent batch, I used distilled water, but have not had a chance to try it yet. Light bulb. That was it. That was it. And I wrote, distilled is good and recommended, especially for the developer. Every municipality's water is chemically different, Mm -hmm. as Matt just mentioned with the acidic water he was dealing with. And I said, simply with that, let me know how the new mix goes. Not too long after I get an email back, it says, I tried the batch of chemicals mixed with the distilled water, and that made all the difference. My pictures look amazing. Thanks for your help. So sometimes these things seem like such a little thing. Washing them, not washing them long enough, that kind of thing, you know. I really need, we drink this water. Isn't it okay to mix my chemistry with it? Maybe not. So there you go. C41 problems that can easily crop up in the home darkroom. Anytime you're doing home darkroom stuff, it's the easiest way to eliminate so many errors. Of course, clean your stuff. Of course, keep good uh, consistency, but that distilled water, a gallon of distilled water is not even a buck. It's a great peace of mind and it will really, really tighten up your process. Yep, exactly. Thank you, Leslie. You are welcome. Hey, when we come back, we're going to be talking about Sears. Eastman Kodak Company is happy to bring you America's favorite family, the Nelsons. Ozzie, Harriet, David, and Ricky. They enjoy good times together. And like most of us, they enjoy good times over again in pictures. And now, let's join Harriet, who's holding the answer to many a Christmas gift problem right in the palm of her hand. I sure am. It's the Brownie Starmite camera by Kodak. Everybody enjoys having pictures, and this is the easiest way I know of to take them, in black and white or color. It's the tiniest, handiest camera with built-in flash Kodak ever made. And it comes with a tag that says, open me first. Imagine the fun Christmas morning when someone finds a brownie Starmite outfit under the tree. You can picture the fun of Christmas right from the very first moment. And from Christmas Day all through the year, this will be a gift the whole family will enjoy and appreciate. The brownie Starmite outfit by Kodak costs less than $12. Other brownie cameras cost less than $7. Each one is easy to use and takes beautiful pictures in black and white or color, even color slides. And remember, the name Kodak means it's a gift you'll be proud to give. And now Kodak invites you to enjoy... Hey, we're back. Hey, we're back. Hey, you know, this is a great topic, and I'll tell you why. Here in our remote studio in Cleveland area of Ohio, right across the street is a Sears... And it is completely empty. It is like Dawn of the Dead style mall. Like this huge, sprawling office. I would love to get in there with a pair of roller skates on. (laughs) Sears. The great American company. And if you guys at home really want to see something amazing, order like a, I don't know, order like a 1969 Sears Christmas catalog. Mm -hmm. It'll blow your mind. Just for the camera stuff. Perfection. 
course, you cry at the film prices that you're going to see. They <laughs> did sp- G.I. Joe spreads where they actually put the G.I. Joes, like they had like a whole set. In the jungle. <laughs> they had a set. I mean, can you imagine uh, that photography that's studio? That's they, had a, they had a budget. Well, you're, you're old enough to remember. And photographers like the, the idea were paid. Book. Remember getting the idea book from Sears in the mail for Christmas? No, I did, we did the... Wait, um, I did the Toys R Us. We had the Toys R Us catalog, yeah. and then what we had local to us... We had service merchandise. Yes, that's right. Oh, yes. We had, yes. We had the JCPenney Christmas catalog. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. They all, I'm, sure they, I'm sure they all... What's that? Monkey Ward? Montgomery no. Ward? I'm we, sure they I, all aped Sears, right? I mean, uh, Sears oh, was sure. the, the yeah, gold standard of Sears. My mom worked for pennies in her younger days, so she had to keep her loyalties. My, yeah. That's funny. My, my uncle was a regional, in this area, regional director. The success that Amazon.com has should be Owned by Sears. See, see, yeah, I mean that's. I can get into a separate rant. So yeah. I used to work at the Sears and Mike's talking about. Yeah, like the like spaceships on their way to Mars should be Sears should be producing that. Agreed. And Sears had the opportunity at one time to be Amazon, and I was there at that point, and they they just they didn't because one thing a lot of people don't know is that Sears owned almost all of the land that its stores sat on. So you could a lot of people used to say Sears was actually in the real estate business. Um, kind of like McDonald's. Kind of like McDonald's, would yeah. Say that, would say that too. And but yeah, this year, this year's opened in 70, 1976. And I worked there from high school. And I worked in the electronics department selling photography equipment uh, until I went to uh, the appliances department. And then I took a corporate internship because I thought I would get into you know Sears corporate management. And I spent about a week in, in Chicago and then realized that I did not want to be part of that company. I mean, just oh, not, not innovative. Oh. You know, they, they had an opportunity to turn a lot of their stores into, like, warehouses yeah. so that they could offer same-day delivery before Amazon could. And th- we're talking, like, I mean, I, I, I stopped working there in 20, I don't know, 2012. Oh, it was too late by ago. then. Well, no, Amazon wasn't doing same-day deliveries in 2012, I don't think. Okay. But anyway, point is... Um, that's why you have Sears, and I have a Sears camera to review. And yes, absolutely, Sears sold all sorts of film cameras, movie cameras, and today we're going to be talking about a still photography camera. Take it away, Owen. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a farce because this is actually a Mamiya camera, technically, okay. with, with the Sears badge on it. Um, so this is this is the Sears 100 MXB. It's a 35 millimeter SLR. It's technically uh, a Mamiya MSX 1000. Uh, it was introduced in 1974. Uh, it's got TTL spot metering. It was me- meant to use SV lenses. Uh, it's 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 a screw mount lens, which is which is great. Um, and the reason I wanted to talk about this particular camera is because, as a lot of us know, you know, basic SLR cameras. You know, Matt gave an example of his his uh, sorry his cousin. I think that was like 17, 18 years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. Looking for a Canon camera was was prepared to pay like three hundred and some odd dollars. <laughs> Way Poor too guy. much. Yeah. We stopped him though. It's fine. He's getting film from FPP. He's on his way to recovery. He's, he's getting help. Yeah, he got he got he got good help. But you know, like Pentax K one thousands. When I was a kid, ten bucks. Now I don't know what is a K one thousand going. K one thousand. Yeah, two hundred. Easy. Body, body Get only. Clean one. Crazy, yeah. crazy. Uh, even AE ones. I mean, yeah. What, I mean, even a one fifty. Yeah, one one fifty. I mean. And even Minolta's, Minolta's was, was the one I was almost going to recommend, like a 101 or a 102. But even those are starting to creep up in price. But this, this Sears 1000 MXB, um, I got this one at a thrift store for like 10 bucks. But I even see them online in better condition than I have for under $50. And it's, it's, it's a standard, you know, it is a standard run-of-the-mill 35 millimeter SLR. It's got a built-in meter. It takes LR44 batteries, which... 
common. Dime a dozen. Sweet. You can get them in any store. Um, there's really nothing else to, to say about it. It's built like a tank. It weighs a ton. You can't break it. It's got a great sounding shutter. Um, it, it, you can you have the ability to turn your meter on and off, um, which I which I think is great. Not all older 35 millimeter cameras do that. Um, yeah, it's it's a great option if you're looking for for somebody who is just getting into 35 millimeter photography. Maybe you want to try film photography for the first time, and you're looking for a camera that is going to work really well, that's really well built, that you can drop, and it's probably going to be okay, and it's not going to cost you over 100 bucks. Yes, and it gets the job done. It does. It does. What kind of shutters in that? Is that a cloth shutter? Is that a that is a cloth shutter? Oh, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. I, I never paid those a time of day when I was working the sales job at Midwest Photo because if we saw those come in real hour, we can't pay for that kid. <laughs> yeah. That was always the answer. But wait, is this a, is this a Super Takamar on there? It is. Oh, that's great. Uh-huh. I mean, that's really it. There's really nothing more to say. There's nothing fancy about the camera. It does have uh, the ability to add a flash to it. I, I actually X-Sync and focal plane. Yeah. Um, Hot shoe? Hot it zoom tight. Hot shoe. I don't know if it is a hot shoe or not. Let me it, say, yeah. it might yeah, be. Yeah, hot shoe. Is it an X on there? Yeah, hot shoe with a contact. So, um, and that's known as an M42 mount. I, yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, and 42 if mount. I want to buy some fancy lenses, like a nice super wide angle, like how are lenses cheap? I have you know mm. that so that particular one when I bought it for ten dollars came with like four lenses. So I actually have no idea. They're a little tricky because people were grabbing those up for video use. Yeah, so many cinema guys are getting those and adapting <clears throat> them to mirrorless yeah, and yeah. everything. Yeah, but they're, you can still get them, and it's a very open mount. So mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And you could buy adapters, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that was about the, originally, that yeah. was about the only thing. There yeah. weren't many, but now, world is your oyster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It says a beautiful F1.4 lens on mm-hmm. And what is the 50 millimeter? Yes. Uh, yeah, it is. Wow. So, yeah, that's my easy, like, easy peasy. You're looking for a 35 that you don't want to break the bank. Well, thank you, Owen. 1,000 MXP from your friends at Sears Roebuck and Company. Well, thank you, Owen. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Mike. Hey, thanks. Hey, thanks, Mike. And uh, you can reach us, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Of course, we're on the, uh, on the Instagram, on the Flickr. <laughs> Flickr. It's Flickr. Flicker. On the YouTube, Matt Marashe is on the Flickr. I'm sorry, Still. you are on Flickr. Yes. Still, Matt Marashe is on the YouTube with a f- uh, large format Friday. LFF, yeah. And what's the show called? Film Photography Podcast. And where are we? You're getting fired. We're in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. Satellite Office, Cleveland, Ohio. That's right. Okay. Bye.
Life is what you 